Welcome to Travel Tastemakers, a new podcast hosted by me, Peter Gould, and brought to you by T-Fest, the travel trade event of the future. In my 25 years in the travel industry, I've been a publisher of travel directories, CEO of one of the world's largest hotel consortia, and founder and chairman of Worldwide Events, which is my current position. In traveling around the world to my events, where luxury hotel buyers meet luxury hotel services, I'm lucky enough to talk to some of the most interesting people in this industry. Welcome back to my conversation with Billy Scully-Cohen. In part one, we talked about Billy's career, how he built a hotel chain from scratch, and the process of designing and developing the rooms for those hotels. Although Billy isn't running thousands of the hotels, he's running enough to understand the impact hotels have on the environment. So I wanted to explore with him what his strategies were to make his hotels more sustainable. We started about a year and a half ago really looking deeper than than the obvious on some of the things we could do uh, to do better for the planet in our hotels. And at the time, we had the the right intentions. We wanted to do it for the right reasons. But, you know, we weren't immune to saying, well, what can we also do that that helps us, you know, market our hotels and and demonstrate to the world that, that we're doing good for the planet? You know, <laughs> you fast forward just 12 and 18 months and, you know, the, the opportunity to market the few things that we want to do today is is ludicrous. It's it's now about just being a decent human and a, a responsible corporation and and doing what everybody else should be doing. And we shouldn't brag. We should just keep looking for more things to do. So, so is it tokenistic? Because you'll probably know these numbers, or will it really make a big difference if you change the way you go about this hotel? Uh, or is it something you just have to be seen to be doing? I, I, I've shared this example with with many people. The first thing I asked our hotels to do, and I just used Sea Containers and Pulitzer, two hotels that combine are about 600 rooms. And I said, I want to understand how many plastic bottles of water we're using every year and how many little amenity products that Peter can't read are we using. And uh, we use for these two hotels 250,000 bottles of water a year and 450,000 little bottles of, of shampoo, of, of amenities for the rooms. And, you know, those numbers really hit you kind of hard. And, and you know- That's you, just two hotels. That's just two hotels out of, you know, countless hotels around the world. First of all, it makes you feel more responsible because you can actually see that that's a real impact in the world. So all the things that we have to take on the responsibility to do, and it also highlights how big of a problem we have. I mean, I don't know if there's any analysis that you, you have access to, but what are the biggest impacts to the, uh, the planet that a hotel has? Is it actually its lack of single-use plastic or, yeah. or are there other things as well? And are they being addressed? Or is it, uh, yeah, could- I mean, if, if, if you look at it, I mean, single-use plastic is, is, is a major one. It's not as easy of a thing to do, actually, as it sounds, but we will stop all single-use plastic in our hotels in the next few months. Uh, we're trying to go paperless in our hotels as well, which again, I, I can't define it to you in uh, in kind of savings to the world. Sadly, I can only define it to you in financial savings. But we, we spend about $200,000 a year between two hotels in paper. What sort of paper? Like 
check in, check and, out. And, and anything from check in, check out to, you know, the, the staff printing, you know. So, you know, the, there's a real savings uh, all around, right? But, and then, you know, it's it, the, the two other things to mention is, is obviously the, you know, the heavy use of towels and, and, and things that need to be recycled and washed in our hotels. And then the, the food that we serve in our hotels, you know, being, you know, a bit more uh, responsible around the way we design our menus. People need to understand you, you shouldn't be eating tomatoes 12 months a year in most part of the world and really addressing that. You know, it's just the right thing to do at this point. Listen, I, I think that we all agree with that, and, and it's good to see that you're so advanced there. You've got hotels in America as well, I understand. Yeah, we, we have two hotels right now, one under development and one that will redevelop in the near future. And what is the difference between a U.S. consumer and a European consumer that you can see? That's a tough question to answer without getting in trouble a little bit. Well, first, would, you, would you rather not answer it? No, I, I don't mind answering it at all, actually. First of all, you can't say you're a European customer because the French, the Germans, and the Brits have very different behaviors in the way they they book hotel rooms, what they what they the, the things. What is the difference? What's the difference between the French, the Germans, and the Brits? Uh, again, that's uh you know, I don't think it's far off from the cultural differences that 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 we all would would picture and, and what's important to them, right? And the way they interact with with staff, how respectful they are to a hotel, the way they book, what they want to pay for. But, you know, if you really have to go back to kind of the European and U.S., I think, first of all, it leisure and business traveler is, is very different. There is no doubt that Americans that are coming to Europe, and just to give you an example, the U.S. market is, is 40% of our business at a hotel like the Pulitzer. So obviously a, a, an incredibly important feeder markets. Americans are, are pretty high-maintenance customers when they come to Europe because they're discovering a new world, right? And especially when they come to a property like the Pulitzer, it's always fun to see them like walk around and they want to know about every little story and every little thing, right? Where, you know... Do they complain or are they happy to be uh, immersed in history? You know, the only thing Americans complain about when they come to Europe is they typically take overnight flights to get here. They arrive very tired and we don't have a room for them until the afternoon Fair that right. that's really the biggest thing we have to overcome um no after that you know i have to say on they can be quite high maintenance on the flip side american customers are are the most generous customers we have in our european hotels there's a real tipping mentality so you know certainly are i can see all the kind of the front house guys the porters and so forth when they see americans they they give it the extra mile <laughs> because that's where the big tips come from <laughs> I did go on to ask Billy who the worst tippers were, but he wouldn't tell me, understandably. We then moved the conversation to sales, marketing and distribution of hotels. 20 years ago, when Billy and I worked together, it was a very different industry. One of the biggest changes has been social media and how that impacts the sales and marketing of a property. I was interested to explore with Billy how he was seeing that and how important it was to his business. It's incredibly important for many different reasons. I'll I'll try to highlight 
probably what what what's most important is uh, one is you know there's no easier way to communicate or better way to communicate with with the people that are already engaged with you right so if people are following you on different channels right there th- this is the way they want you to interact with them and and that's the number one thing looking after the people that that already have some kind of an engagement with us it's the best way that that we're able to gain credibility through associations through you know the the influencers of the world and so forth i do they make I, any difference the influencers i've always you know, wondered do you offer free rooms to influencers do you try to get them in and cuz i travel a lot like you know my yeah, job yeah. and i see these people around and i just wonder really do they matter well, what's your take on that i mean uh, listen I, i'm not shy to say that that's a part of my life that i wish i didn't have to deal with I, I certainly don't inspire aspire to be any kind of an influencer. Well, you're a in my big life. follower of my Instagram account, but <laughs> yeah. I know that. Um, but yeah, sadly, it, it, you know, it is relevant. You know, these people do manage to build a voice for themselves. Now, I think a lot of the time, the 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 influencers we have in our hotels, the authority and the voice that they have doesn't always fully align with our property and our customer, but. It's a very uh, a low risk, inexpensive proposition. Giving somebody a hotel room to post something about our is hotels. it as simple as that, or do you pick these people out and pay them fees to come and do it? We we don't pay people. People that sell products tend to have to just to, to to charge people. You know, luckily our hotels are quite nice. People like to be here, right? So we we don't have to pay people, but. There's certainly different levels of things that we have to do. Uh, again, I'm not that intimate, but from what I can work out, you know, if you have kind of 10,000 followers, you can get something for free. You know, if you have 100,000 followers, you have a bit more of the red carpet. And, you know, if you have followers in the millions, you can ask for whatever the hell you want, right? And yeah. uh, that's kind of how it works. Uh, the last thing with social media is is there's been a real shift, you know, as we see people shifting from like emails to text and WhatsApp, you're seeing people shifting from going to a website to going directly to social media channels to get information about their travel plans because they can see where their friends have gone, where they can see real pictures and so forth. So it feels to me like Instagram, and this is as recent as the past 12 months, has really become almost more important than our website as far as marketing display than our websites itself. So that's interesting how quickly things are changing, where Instagram is taking over from the website as your most important marketing tool. The other area where things have been changing rapidly recently is obviously in the Airbnb space. So I wanted to hear Billy's views on that too. Yeah, I mean, it's it's incredible. I think when we mentioned the big players in the hotel industry, like the Hiltons and, you know, Accords of the world, we should probably throw Airbnb in there now. But the first thing I always tell people is you need to realize that Airbnb consolidated an industry that already existed, right? So, you know, ability to rent an apartment in whether it's a resort or a city center area was there before Airbnb existed. They just really took the market by storm. So after that, luckily, in being a bullish market, in more and more people traveling in recent years, occupancies across most markets have held up really, really well, even with the introduction of a lot of supply from Airbnb. What has suffered is hotel rates. 
And I can really speak a, a bit more intelligently of city center markets where, you know, historically you look at markets like London or Amsterdam or Washington, you know, you have, you know, kind of typically between 50 to 100 nights a year where demand is, is much stronger than supply. So where hotels can really drive rate up and, and Airbnb has stopped that from happening because, Above a certain amount, you know, whether you're corporate or leisure travelers, you're, you will go to that option. And that has had a real impact on rates. But to date, and, and we'll see how that continues, the growth in, in city arrivals, and it's certainly in, in the cities we operate in or the cities we look at, have been able to swallow that Airbnb supply. So let's so taking London, for example, is that g- going to continue to grow and grow? Is is it seems to be growing for the last 20 years. Is, is there any limit to where London, London would go? Yeah, I mean, you know, in, in what you've highlighted has been, you know, we've lived in like a bullish world. The ho- London hotels have not struggled in recent years, but have faced difficulties. It's been difficult to drive rates. Rate growth has been minimal in, in London, where occupancy have held up and grown, but, but rate growth has been minimal. And all hotels, whether it's through labor or business rate, what what's kind of real estate taxes in, in the in London, you know, people have seen costs in their business balloon. And, you know, I would say that most hotel in London is less profitable today than it was five years ago. Okay. So um, occupancy is not just the key measure that we should be looking at, actually. No, you need rain and, yeah. and you need to be able to drive profit margins. So looking to the future a bit, firstly, if you could own a 250, 300-room hotel in one city tomorrow, where would you have it? Oh, wow, that's a good question. You know, I we, we always go back, Paris is a very tough labor market, but the supply and demand in Paris is really, really healthy. They've obviously had turbulent time with, you know, with some of the terrorist attacks and so forth in recent years that, that had a real bad impact in the hotel business. But Paris, I think, will will always be the most visited city in the world. So from a leisure front, it feels quite strong. The corporate base is not the strongest of any market, but it's, again, there and there to stay. And demand and supply is, you know, the barriers to entry to building a hotel in Paris are just about anywhere, as high as anywhere in the world. Because of old buildings and and getting planning regulations. Yeah, I mean, you know, there is no, you know, there is a reason Paris is so beautiful, <laughs> yes. right? They, they, you know, the, the city protects the, the buildings and the city incredibly well. The day there's enough hotel rooms in Paris, people will stop wanting yeah, to go to Paris. Pro- probably. Hi, I'm Emily Brooks, and I'm the Director of Sales for Private Luxury Events. I want to tell you about our new event, T-Fest, the unmissable new global luxury travel festival powered by AI matchmaking technology to give you more time to connect with the people who really matter. Meet the world's most influential buyers and sellers in luxury travel. We've combined the best things about larger trade shows and intimate networking events to create a vibrant new festival format that's the best of both worlds. Large in scale, but still personal. Be part of the global gathering for the best and the bold. Book your spot now by searching T-Fest AI. So what's the future for you and what you're going to do? Where are you going to take this business you built from one person to 1,200 people. What's the, where are you looking to go? We still have ambitions to grow and it's about stabilizing what we have and and really developing a, a clear vision for the next decade, which is 
solely about being an owner-operator now, where we, we still kind of straddle between owning and operating hotels and letting other people manage our properties. We currently have seven hotels. We manage three of them. Four of them are, are third-party managed. By the end of the year, we'll take two more over. But really moving forward, we we want to continue doing things that, that hopefully resonate and developing inspired and approachable uh, hotel brands and concepts, uh, but we want to do it in as a fully integrated group and buying and developing and concepting and designing and operating. It makes sense for us as an investment group. I've seen this story unfold firsthand over the last 10, 15 years, and I've seen the energy that he's put into it. I hope this episode has captured some of that for you. We now come towards the end and our final feature, which we finish every episode with, which is Last Day on Earth. Last Day on Earth is when we ask our guests to imagine that they are in a future where space travel is possible. They're just about to take off to Mars on their trip of a lifetime, and this is their last day on Earth. We ask them where they'd have their last meal, where they'd spend their last night, and what their last view would be. Obviously, they're given their family and their home. This is more about finding out what they love in the hospitality industry and the travel industry. So let's hear what Billy's views were. Well, so people around me always joke, I actually don't like to travel or stay in hotels. I'm a really homey guy. But, you know, somewhere in nature, it wouldn't be in a city, you know, a a, a great, you know, beach or country hotel, something small and and probably quite low-key, actually. And you don't know that hotel yet? I don't, actually. I mean, I can think of a few, but um, I I was at Farmhouse recently, which is a pretty magical place, in the middle of nature, in early fall in in the U.S., so that always, uh, sorry, outside of London. I'm going there next weekend, that, that, That always feels quite nice. But, you know, just somewhere kind of like, you know, low-key strip back in nature on a beach. You have to give me a hotel because that's the that's the game we're playing. I have to give you a hotel. Bill, uh, we'll, we'll the, come back to you if you want. Yeah. Okay, okay. Right. Thanks for the hotel. Yeah. Now, where, which is going to be your last restaurant? You know, I have to say, if I had to do one last meal on earth, <laughs> you know, and uh, if you uh, knew Bill, he's, <laughs> um, he, he's he loves his food. I'm not going for anything fancy. I'm I'm having a great cheeseburger with French fries and a milkshake. And you know what? I wouldn't mind doing that at Sea Containers at our hotel here, looking at the Thames on the river outside, just a great cheeseburger with fries and a vanilla milkshake. I can recommend the fries for sure. (laughs) Uh, And last for you, as you step on the ship that's going to take you away. You know, I I love the West Coast of the U.S. And waking up to the Pacific, you know, kind of an empty beach somewhere between... LA and Santa Barbara or LA and San Francisco is, is Big Sur. We look, we talk Yeah, Big Sur, Malibu, you know, any of those places, you know, kind of waking up to that kind of view feels pretty pretty magical. So, hotel. You know, actually in in picking a hotel, I I just spent a few days this summer in a region of Portugal called Comporta, which I had never heard of before, which is about as cool of a place as I've been to in Europe. And I stayed in a, a, a kind of an eco-resort in the middle of nature called called Sublime, which I thought was just spectacular. And, you know, just staying in a cabin in front of water in nature 
in a place like that would, would feel What's right. What's the hotel called? It's called Sublime. Sublime. Sublime it- Comporta. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd be very grateful if you helped us by subscribing and reviewing the podcast wherever you listen to it and by sharing it with your colleagues. 